because there's good information and bad information. Fair. And wading through and finding truth um, sometimes can be difficult in a task in and of itself. Hey, everybody, this is Bobby Walker with the Journey of a New Entrepreneur podcast. And I want to ask you one thing. Are you doing what you want to do in life? Are you pursuing what you want in life? Why not? Don't be a bitch. Be the captain of your own ship. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. What's going on, everybody? This is Bobby Walker with the Journey of a New Entrepreneur podcast. So glad you're with us today. And I just want to say welcome to the NBZ, the no bitch zone. That's right. If you're a victim, if you're not making life what you want it to be, you're just going to get offended listening to this podcast. So just see yourself out now. It's going to save you a lot of trouble. It's going to save me a lot of trouble. We're all going to be happier and we'll go on. But all that being said, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for the reviews. We're getting on iTunes. It's awesome. We're getting some more. And uh, it just, as my my partner, Michael Kaplan says, it's just like, it feels like a warm, fuzzy blanket just gets wrapped around me every time one of those things happens. So you're basically giving me a warm, fuzzy internet blanket hug when you go leave one of those reviews. So thank you so much for that. And, um, and then I'm just going to get right in to like one of my favorite parts of the show is talking about Responsibid. You guys know Responsibid has been sponsoring the show. That's probably not changing anytime soon. And here's why. I've loved those guys for the last two years. They've just been sponsoring for like the last month. And it has been awesome. A lot of you guys have been signing up. A lot of you guys have been having a lot of success with it. Uh, so Responsibid is real happy with this thing. I'm real happy with this thing. And I love sharing stuff that's helped me. They can help you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to briefly tell you what Responsibid does. Because if you're listening to the show, you probably already know. And then I'm just going to read a testimonial or two. So here's the thing. Here's what Responsibid is or some of the things that it is. Basically, it's kind of like hiring an employee to do all kinds of things for you. And the employee can do stuff like create accurate quotes for you in a fraction of the time that you would have to make them. It's someone that uh, could be up all night long. So when people go to your website, it can give them an accurate quote and sell a job while you're asleep. Or in my case, sell a job while you're floating around a lazy river in a water park. That's pretty cool too. Uh, it does your follow-up sequences. So if someone doesn't buy from you, it'll hound them until they do. If someone does buy from you, it'll let them know about the schedule and all the upcoming stuff. And then once you've already done the work for them, it keeps them on your follow-up for really as long as you want for years on out. So they keep coming back to you and buying you, uh, buying more. It does all kinds of great stuff. It integrates with great systems. And here's, I got, got two things on the uh, YouTube channel. So First comment, both of these are actually from a guy named James at different times. Uh, James, he says, uh, yes, so excited to see this interview. He was actually talking about the show we did with Rob Anderson a few weeks back, and he said, six new instant quotes in seven days. I completed two jobs from Responsibid already. Thanks for hooking me up with this awesome software. Get your bonus code from Bobby Walker. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate that, man. And what is the code? It's, it's, it's actually a website. It's J-N-E-Bid. Dot com. So J-N-E, like Journey of a New Entrepreneur, B-I-D, like responsibid.com, J-N-E-Bid.com. And one more, James, he came back a few days later, and he says, sales are up 130% with packages sharing from Responsibid. And then he said, 
take a drink, Bobby. And uh, that was in reference to some guy said, I talk about responsibility and Josh Latimer and name dropped so much on my show that there should be like a, a drinking game for the p- podcast. So there you guys go. I think I res- said responsibility like six times. So you guys should be nice and hammered and ready for the entertainment at this point. <laughs> so Anyway, we're going to get going. Uh, today, I'm so excited. I think I reached out to this guy a year ago and we've just kind of been going back and forth and it hasn't been able to happen, but Joe Kowalski, not Kowalski, but with a wah, wow, Kowalski. I got it right. I think <laughs> Kowalski. Kowalski. <laughs> I keep forgetting. I'm so sorry, Joe. I'm the worst That's podcast. No host worries. Uh, <laughs> no one gets that right. Well, here's a funny story. Just before we even get started, I, I didn't find out until six months ago. I'm 0% Polish. No My kidding. dad's dad wasn't his real biological dad, and we just found that out via 23andMe. Oh, my God. That's, like, crazy. Yeah, yeah we're Italian. We're not Polish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favorite Polish joke was from the movie, um, uh, was it Jobs? I think it was the one called Jobs. Uh, did you watch that? No, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, you know, with uh, Ashton Kutcher and uh, who's Steve Jobs and everything. And, oh, yes, 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 yes. And then Wozniak, you know, he, he had a thing that told jokes. And the joke was, what does a uh, Polish woman get on her wedding night that's long and hard? And, the, of course, the, the answer is a new last name. So... <laughs> Right. Reaches all the way back around. Kowalski. Very good. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Joe, I'm so glad to have you. Listeners, if you don't know who he is, and I'm sure you do, Joe is the CEO. He's the founder. He's like the man at Service Monster CRM. And uh, I think I'm just going to stop talking for a second and say two things. One, Joe, thank you for being on the show. And two, tell us a little bit about you, man. Well, thank you, Bobby, so much for uh, having me. I sorry didn't things work out, but I think I had pneumonia the first time you hit me up, <laughs> and we've had a baby number six since then. So, holy yeah, cow. no, I'm I'm happy to finally be able to sit down and, and have a chat with you. And also, uh, if you guys are really doing that drinking game, you're you're about to get some more shots. Get them ready, <laughs> because Service Monster integrates with Responsibit. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we, we've worked with them for a while now, and Responsibid's a great company. Um, I, I like what Kurt and the guys are doing over there, and and uh, you know, just Responsibid, Responsibid, Responsibid. I'm oh all my god, it. you just killed like three people, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, you know, so um, I, obviously, Service Monster is a CRM. I'm not here to pitch that. I want to bring you guys as much value as I can. So to answer your question. My, you know who I am. Um, that that could get very complicated very fast. Um, but for the last 16 years, I've been running Service Monster. Um, I have a homestead. My wife and I've been married for 24 years. I have six kids. Um, two are grown. One still in the house doing college. Um, and then I have four little ones. Um, wow. And we raise uh, we raise some pigs and goats and chickens and you know, a cow once in a while. And, um, and, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, I was a handful of things before I started service monster in 2003, we were one of the very first SaaS companies ever. So software as a service on so online business yeah. management service. Well, when you said 16 years, I was a little surprised. That's a, that's a long time for 
Uh, I'm a SAS I, grandpa. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there was no blogs, you know, to help us out. There were no coaches. This thing didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Forbes, so Forbes can't, you know, uh, leave it alone. They talk about it all the time. So it's pretty, um, pretty amazing how the whole thing came about. And we were right there at the event horizon to watch it all happen. So um, I'm a science buff. Um, like if I don't have enough to do with my six kids, my homestead, my business, um, I'm studying physics, I'm studying uh, philosophy. I'm looking into, you know, business, uh, reading. I'm just, I have my, my brother and I, it's interesting. My, I have all of the ambition juice and my brother has none. Hmm. Um, and it's neither of which are good. (laughs) I can't shut it off. You can't take me anywhere. Don't take me to a party. Don't expect me to wind it down. Even if I'm drinking or whatever, you know, I'm going to be go, 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 go. Yeah. And, uh, if you're ever, if you ever sat next to the dude who was just like full of passion and vigor. And at one point you were like, man, does this guy ever just turn it off? That's me. Uh, and I just, I can't shut it off. It's part of who I am. I'm plowing the field and I'm writing code in my head and I'm, you know, unveiling business models and I'm coming up with new marketing campaigns and it's just my obsession. So that, that's essentially who I am. Now tell me a little bit about what you did before service monster. So, you know, cause that was a long, long time ago. What kind of, was it always computer stuff? Were you doing something completely different? So, um, I guess you could say my journey would start at 21 okay um so this is in the mid 90s and i am not college educated there was no chance for me to go to college i'm dyslexic so i didn't do great in high school Mm -hmm. um and i was 21 working in a factory for minimum wage with a new wife and a new baby so that's Mm kind of where my story opens um, and I busted ass there and uh, managed to find my way into a management position in the warehouse. Um, I used that uh, in Seattle uh, for a Boeing subsidiary. And then we jumped to Sacramento and I jumped into a chemical manufacturing company and I ran their warehouse. And, you know, this is 2000, no, this is 1997, 98. And uh, I'm just like, where am I going to go from here? I'm not educated. I don't, you know, you know, um, what I'm going to do, I'm kind of floundering mm-hmm. and I'm freaking out cause I got the wife and the baby to take care of. And my life sucks cause I'm just hate my job and you know, I'm just going through the motions and I'm like, this cannot be what life is like. Yeah. And I just refuse to accept that. And so I picked up an organic chemistry book and I started reading and within a short few little bit, I worked myself into the manufacturing floor. I was scrubbing pots to begin with, and then I started making chemical. I started working next to bachelor's degrees and, and uh, master's degrees, um, making chemical in the manufacturing area. Uh, so I started, and I was very lowly paid because I didn't have any education, but I was actually, you know, putting in the work. Uh, very shortly afterwards, the R&D manager pulled me into R&D. He saw, he pulled one of my lab notebooks and completely wigged out, uh, said, this is like nothing you'd ever seen. I was like, I'm not classically educated. I'm sorry. That's like, no, no, you don't understand. We need all of this in R&D. Nice. So he pulled me into R&D. And so for a year, I was an R&D biomedical polymer chemist working side by side with dual PhDs. Wow. Uh, and that's just what I did. Um, the thing is, is I, 
had a problem with the QA. I would put the material to quality assurance and they would check it out to make sure that it's not toxic and blah, 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 chemistry stuff. And uh, that took three days. And I'm guessing at what I'm doing because I have no idea what I'm doing. And R&D is a lot of guesswork anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to process and trying to come up with this material. And, um, and I finally go to the QA department. I'm like, please show me what you're doing. And so they showed me the whole process. And then uh, I learned how to code, how to write programming code. And within three months, I converted that process down to six hours because it was what they were doing by hand with Excel and pulling data together, I was able to automate the whole process. Yeah, nice. And got half the, uh, the internship from Berkeley fired because <laughs> they didn't need them anymore. And I'm like, okay, so this is what automation is all about. And so this is in 98 or so. And uh, I fell in love with computer programming because what I liked about chemistry, what I'd started really enjoying was these iterative cycles of improvement. And you're going to hear me talk about this a lot. Okay. Iterative cycles of improvement. Feeling awesome. Like nothing is ever done. You're always constantly moving forward and making things better. And so with chemistry, the process is kind of slow and arduous because it's got to go through all of these different tests in order to come up with the properties that you need. Mm -hmm. um, but computers, you hit a button, it happens nanoseconds. You know the yeah. code executes or it doesn't. And so I fell in love with computer programming right there. And I jumped, completely jumped track. So I went from a year and a half to two years or so coming in as a warehouse manager, working my way through a chemical company all the way to the lab. Like mm -hmm. people fight and kill themselves in their master's degrees and PhD programs to work in a lab. And I just was like, no, I'm going to read some books. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it better than anyone else. <laughs> Uh, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, never mind. I'm going to go computer programming. And everybody's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Which now, was interesting. So, Did you do it with them or on, out on your own at that point? Well, what was really super interesting is that we got a new CFO in the chemical company right before I left. And he goes, well, um, it sounds like you're leaving and you've done some programming work in the company. Right. Um, and so I need you to go put the warehouse back in order because the old CFO let that go to shit. So before you leave, can you please get the warehouse back in order? And then and I was like, wait. So I go from warehouse manager to pot scrubber to chemical floor to R&D assistant to R&D chemist back to warehouse manager. Mm -hmm. Right. And in that whole process, I got maybe 10 or 15 grand bumps along the way because it's just a two year period of time. Yeah. Anyway, so it was it was weird when they sent the interns to the warehouse manager to go over a chemistry problem, and they were like thinking they were getting hazed. And I pull out my lab notebook, right? Yeah. I pull out my drawer, and it's got all my lab notebooks in it. And I pull one of those guys out, and I'm like, "Here you go. Here's what we did." And they were just like, "What the hell?" That and so I left. I worked for an AutoZone uh, subsidiary, writing code. Um, getting into customer relation management, started writing software for them, um, you know, did well, got cancer in 2000. Wow. And so uh, that was right after the birth of her second son. And I'd always wanted to do something. And I had tried a couple failed businesses before then, small things like a book, right? Uh, not a writing book, but like a reference book for music. Um, I'd also done, um, I was an audio engineer by trade. Like I actually did a trade school to become an audio engineer. So I recorded bands 
um, I uh, hung out with uh, Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters or Nirvana, like yeah. Pick Your Poison, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Barrett Jones and, you know, um, I hung out with the Quincy Jones engineers and, you know, we did some cool stuff there, but I realized, man, I, I can't raise a family on that kind of a lifestyle because it's all just craziness and up until 2 a.m. and there's drugs and it's just the whole nine. So I wasn't really feeling that. Um, so that's when I went on my journey and on, on the chemistry thing. But in 2000, I got cancer. After I started programming, um, I got cancer. And I finally was like, you know what? After I recovered, I went into remission. Like after that, like what's a fail? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I didn't die. So mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen in any endeavor I ever take? And so um, I, I knew I wasn't quite ready yet, though. So I spent a year and a half working for another company as a junior partner, a startup, flying back and forth from Sacramento to Denver every single week, working in Denver, living in Sacramento. Yeah. And you know, after just recovering from cancer and then taking that time away from food, um, but I did learn what not to do with a startup. Uh, and so that was a very valuable lesson. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? Forget this. I'm done. Uh, I just got to go do my own thing because yeah. I saw the writing on the wall. They weren't putting any money into effort into marketing or lining up the next client. It was single client focused. We were consultants. And so it just wasn't a great model. I had come up with a model, though, while working for them because I'm working every uh, every week in um Denver. And so I'm staying at a Summerfield Suites hotel, essentially. It's a hotel that caters to long-term. So they know us and we've got, you know, people we know and they fix our food. And they, I mean, it's, it's, it was a nice arrangement. It stands your family, right? Yeah. Um, and so eventually, you know, that just I wore on me, but that's where I came up with the whole idea of SaaS, software mm-hmm. as a service. Because I, I, I've been building systems for large companies, Fortune 500 companies, and giving them the benefit that technology can provide. And I was seeing how I was shrinking workforces and improving systems and improving performance and customers were happier. And, you know, all the while things are getting more and more and more efficient. And I'm like, man, I am done making money for other people. I am, I am done, like, and I want to be able to give that to the other unlikely business owners because I considered myself an unlikely business owner consider mm-hmm. the journey right yeah um, and so I'm finally like you know what I want to be able to give the same technology to small business owners uh, that big businesses benefit from so that was my whole game plan which is actually um, kind of the whole correct me if I'm wrong but that's like the whole heart and soul of of a SaaS anyway right it's um, you know it's a instead of paying some ridiculously huge amount for a piece of software all up front, you can now pay, you know, you're paying kind of forever, but you're paying it in small hunks that you can afford. And then what that does is give you the resources that in the past only the big, big guys could have got. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Because we handle infrastructure and we handle updates and we handle all the stuff that was such a pain in the ass when you had installs, mm-hmm. right? So back in the 90s, like everybody forgets the internet was born in 95, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy how new it actually is, right? So, yep. I mean, my, my daughter's the same age as the flipping internet. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, it's, it's not, you know, it's not been out for very long. And so this was a new game, mm-hmm. um, but that was the intent. And, and then that's what we're able to offer. Now, 
as far as the price tag, there are plenty of SaaS companies out there charging gross amounts of money. Yeah. Like CRMs that aren't any more complex than ours, I would dare say in a lot of ways not as sophisticated or as feature rich as ours, they're getting twelve, fifteen thousand a month. Wow. Versus, right? For our listeners that may not know, versus what? Versus 80 bucks a month. <laughs> you, right, thank you. I'm yeah. just scaring the crap out of people. They're like, wait, what? How much is Service Monster? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. want them to run. I don't want them to run. Yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's crazy because so, some people, you know, do the price gougy thing because one of the things that, you know, I learned early on about Service Monster, and I still am learning that lesson. I'm getting punched in the mouth is pricing is critical. Mm-hmm. If you're not priced correctly, whether you're a service business or some, somebody like us, you can't grow. You cannot grow and you are stuck. And there's a well-known uh, SaaS provider that target marketed uh, window cleaners and pressure washers. Great company, great uh, individual who started it, but man, no horsepower. And now yeah. there's no company, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just there bringing in money which is great but there's nothing happening there's no updates there's no support there's no nothing going into that there's no horsepower you know we have you know 30 employees yeah. and they're all moving the ball in the same direction we're doing releases every other week we're keeping it moving why because we have the horsepower to be able to do that because we charged enough to be able to get there now mm-hmm. i'm kicking myself a little bit because i'm seeing the value that we provide versus what other CRMs provide in some of the other adjacent vertical markets. Mm-hmm. And the big difference is my client's average invoice. Yeah. So we cater to the cleaning side of the world, right? Window cleaning, pressure washing, carpet cleaning, Jan sand made services. And then you also throw in lawn care and pest, right? Yep. That's the cleaning world as I see it. Yeah. If you can then you move adjacent to the electricians, plumbers, the HVACs and the restoration professionals, any side of the world, you're looking at $250, $300 average invoices, right? Unless you're heavily commercial and doing that kind yeah. of contract work. But on the other side of the coin, it's $7,500 average invoices. Mm-hmm. And so they're a lot more price tolerant. And so when a CRM rolls out 10 years after we do, and of course, we didn't go after these guys, right? It wasn't our vertical market. We focused mm-hmm. on the cleaner because that's who we wanted. Um, you know, going after those guys, they could charge a shitload and they didn't even bat an eye. Yeah. And the, and you know, you know, service Titan has 2,500 clients and they're valued at $1.6 billion. Two years ago, they got a series D at $167 million in funding. Wow. Yeah. They have 2,500 clients. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, excuse me, excuse me. I'm using an old stat. That was the number they had when that valuation and that funding was released. They've since doubled their clients. They have a they have five thousand now, according to the data that that I have, which may be fuzzy, but I trust my data over other people's. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So okay, well, long story. Let, Sorry. Well, no, this is fun stuff. So now let's let's go back a little bit. So we got I just to you wanting to start your business. So yep. you, you had gotten cancer. You, yep. uh, you, you had made it through that. Thank God. And you had worked somewhere for 18 months. And now you're like, all right, I've learned how not to do it. 
now I think the magic's about to happen. So um, we, I think we know why uh, uh, SAS. Uh, and then I guess the next question would be why the industry that, that you went after and what Brilliant. happened? Brilliant. Yeah. Great question. So, um, so I'm starting to build the product because I knew it was going to be CRM based, mm -hmm. right? Knew that. And I, you know, I came up with the name. It was a principal focus. That's our actual official business name, our product, our flagship product is service monster. And, um, and I didn't know what industry I was going to go into. And then I went to a family reunion and I met a gentleman by the name of Ed York. Ed York. I don't know if you're familiar with Ed York, uh -uh. but Ed York is the grandfather of the carpet cleaning industry. Oh, really? All roads lead back to Ed. Hmm. Hydromaster was ran by Steve Brandt. That was Ed York's son-in-law. Um, ICRC was created by Ed York. Steam Services created by Ed York. The distribution model that they have now for truck mount equipment and models and all of it is Ed York. Hmm. Um, I married his... Uh, I guess you, for lack of a better term, you'd say granddaughter. So Steve Brandt, who ran Hydromaster's daughter, Melissa, uh, is my wife. Okay. And so I knew that they were in the carpet cleaning industry and they were doing their thing. And then Ed would go to these events and go be a celebrity in his little uh, push around wheel because he was old and, uh, you know, and he was so cantankerous. Like he was such a, a fear, a force that created these great ideas. And then other people would take them and run with him just because he was such an asshat to work with. Um, and so <laughs> nobody wanted to keep him around. Um, and so all these things happened and he died, you know, not a, not a wealthy man and not a well-respected man, but a recognized man. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and that, and that fit with his personality, you reap what you sow, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed the man. I think he had a lot of wisdom. Um, but when you're, abrasive and you're not empathetic then that's gonna present a problem for you just yeah. the whole ride just the whole ride so um so yeah so i'm at a family reunion before ed york passes and i'm chatting and i knew he was a businessman so i'm, I'm like hey ed I, I got some things to kick around I'm trying to figure it out in industry he was like oh as soon as he heard it he was like oh my god you gotta go into carpet cleaning they have got they they have they need this they need this and they need this mostly so that i can be a coach for them and see their data so they're not bullshitting me as far as what they tell me their averages are or whatever mm -hmm. and i'm like okay i see it i see it and i had this bigger plan um and you know we don't have to go into the whole business model because i don't know how much it actually relates to service owner. um i had these three pillars that i was working towards and knew that I needed to perfect the business model. So I was like, Shh, we'll pop into carpet cleaning. I'll be there two years while we get everything sorted. And then bang, we're going to be cross vertical and growing like crazy. Uh, yeah. And that never happened. We were stuck in carpet <laughs> cleaning for like 12 years because yeah. the gross underestimation that everybody makes that I made from the, one of the very first, if not one, of, if not the first SaaS company, I don't know any before us. I have yet to meet them and I've been looking <laughs> in close. There's a couple that are close, but um, it, it takes a long time. <laughs> it takes forever and a day because the old model was, Hey, you want to buy my disc? Okay. Yeah. 3,500 bucks. What? Yep. 3,500 bucks. Okay, fine. They buy the disc. They have a CRM. Okay, good. Then 
then it's like want to buy the update, right? And want to buy the support. And now we're going, we're not income revenue every sale, $3,500. Mm-hmm. Our, our sale was 50 bucks, right? Our bottom uh, at that time, our, our um, starting price in it, incidentally our starting price is still core is 49 bucks but it's you know it was like 45 49 bucks you get one client you get a sale yeah, yeah. what do you got 49 bucks a month is what you got <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't cover lunch yeah yeah like oh shit okay so then you just start adding it up and then you're like okay well what does 100 clients at 50 bucks a month get just like five grand it's like oh my god this, I can't even pay my salary. And so we went without salaries. We went bootstrapped. We didn't get any VC funding, no loans of any kind. We had a little bit of cash amongst ourselves and we took turns shoveling money into the company for five years. And we spent 500 grand over wow. five years to get Service Monster up and running and sacrificed a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, I was making 120 k a year. Uh, yeah. in a cubicle slinging code and leading teams. And I had three successful product launches and, you know, I, I was killing it in that front in less than two years. And so yep. it was like, I could have stayed there and been a million dollars richer at that point of mm-hmm. our first profitability dollar. So the first literally. dollar we made was literally worth a million dollars to me mm-hmm. in what I, I exchanged it for. But wow. now I own something, mm-hmm. right? Well, I didn't, I, own, no, I didn't own it then. We could talk about, we could stop right there and talk for a long, long time, but I don't want to, maybe we'll come back to it. So I, I the whole thing of, uh, it's, yeah, it's still stressful, but it's my stress. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's risky, but it's my risk. You know? So anyway, carry on, carry on. I'm loving the story. Well, I mean, not to be said like every once in a while, be like, Oh, it's super nice to have one freaking job. <laughs> and I have to think about everything, yeah. everything, you know? Um, so, so that was it. So, you know, I was, uh, I was like, okay, carpet cleaning. So let's do it. And so I, I pulled together a couple of friends. I didn't have enough money to kind of float on my own uh, for any real length of time. And I um, connected with a couple of developers I had worked with at the AutoZone subsidiary, um, Eric and David, and said, hey, guys, you want to come try to do this thing? And they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And they, they're still here. They're slaving away right now in the other offices 16 years later. Um, we have two kind of silent partners, um, friends and family type who wrote checks to keep us going at, at certain points in time, but that's it. And so then, you know, now we've got we're five years in and everybody's grumbling because we're, everybody's done putting money in the company and we're just grinding it and it just sucks because we've got hardly any clients, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? We're just like, and we're rebuilding for the third time the product from the ground up. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And while we were doing that, I was like, man, we cannot continue to go like this. And I had the idea about uh, what we call Fill My Schedule, which is our automated direct mail program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Hey, um, Joe, back up yeah. like four seconds. You said the automated direct mail program we kind of cut out there. Yeah. So um, our automated direct mail program, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that program or not. It's called Fill I'm My familiar Schedule. with it, but I don't know a lot about it. So I... I, I yeah, I know, I know the automated direct mail program. <laughs> that's about that's right. Um, it's so when you complete an invoice, it'll automatically then send out a tent fold card in an envelope with a real stamp to your client um, at specific intervals. So we mm-hmm. do like uh, thank you, three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-four. They have 
specific content in them and it's really built for client retention. Mm-hmm. Um, and our average ROI in that program is 800%. I was nervous about how to put that program in place, but I had conceived of it a little while ago when I realized, wow, we have the most important asset, which is we have stewardship over your data. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to say that again, real slow. So you yeah. can catch it. We have stewardship over your data and our terms of service spells this out this is not true with all modern crm they claim ownership when you put in data so be very careful of that especially around the cancellation policies if you cancel there are some crms which will then claim ownership of that data Hmm. whether they made to make things easy on them or they're making a profit off of you know service providers company data You got to pay a lot of attention. So, um, so we take that very seriously, but we also understood that we could help you guys. You weren't keeping in contact with us. Still don't. Not without help from a third-party service. You'll yep. go in with all the best intentions, but a consistent, structured retention strategy is not something that any of you guys are good at. Yep. And it is such a critical part of growing your business. I have a, oh, I, an example. I, just on that note, just to to throw my two cents in on that specific strategy, a customer retention strategy. I think, oh God, I'm trying to prioritize here, but I'm going to say, I can't think of much aside from just selling and getting customers, you know, so marketing and sales and then being able to deliver, which is the obvious. I can't think of really anything that's probably more important than a customer retention strategy from day one. Um, I didn't get mine into place until probably month 10-ish. Let's just call it 10. And even though that was just 10 months, here I am almost three years into the business and I'm just angry. I'm like, I could have had, because now it's, it's, it's making You're me 10 money. You're behind. I got, yeah. And I've got like a money printing machine with this, this customer retention stuff. And I, I'm 10, I'm missing 10 months of, of revenue. You know, I could be 10 months ahead on that, but anyway, carry on. I, well, I and going, let but. me quantify, and I was about to quantify that. So let me, let me see if I can step through this little bit of math here. So let's take the tale of two companies. Okay. Company A and company B. Mm-hmm. The metrics for these companies are going to be identical in the sales category. Let's say they pull in 20 clients a month. They're already sitting on, uh, you know, 500 clients or so. And their average invoice is 250 bucks. Okay. Okay. All those are the same between both those companies. If company A has a repeat rate of 25%, or Mr. Jones, uh, the business owner, doesn't really do any kind of client retention, but hey, my clients come back to me all the time. I pick up the phone and they say that they've used me before. Yeah. Okay. And then how often? Well, a lot per month. Well, is your marketing good? Are you drawing in new clients? Like that's not telling you what your repeat rate is. That's telling you how much business you did that month of your repeat clients. That's not your repeat rate, whole different calculation. Mm-hmm. So it could feel like things are happening, but you're still only getting 25%. Then let's take company B a consistent, solid client retention strategy of any kind, whether it's email, direct mail, phone calls, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or a combination of them all, Mm -hmm. or YouTube, whatever, but something, and it's consistent, and and they are able to garner the attention of their audience. 
let's say that they're at 65% repeat, okay? Not unachievable. Mm -hmm. Certainly lofty, but not unachievable. Company one stuck. Fast forward five years and that they're at the exact same spot they were, they were at year one on the metric. Mm -hmm. $250,000, $300,000 a year. On the second case, company B, they went from 300 or 250, 300,000 to $900,000 a year. They'll be a million dollar business by year six. Just company A. And the only thing move, changing. Move. The only thing changed was the repeat rate. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I'm just going to say for all my listeners out there, I've told you before customer retention you know, getting your follow-up sequences and follow-up stuff in place is one of the most important things you can do. And Joe, who's a, a service business genius, just confirmed that I was right. I love it. I don't know about all that, but we've been <laughs> looking at the data for 16 years and I love data. I love looking at data points and, and, and kind of inferring results and testing that out. And because I, you know, my science background, uh, gives me the uh, the thirst for that kind of knowledge, and so that's what we've noticed. And well, and that's let's why throw something else out. I'm I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to cut you that's off okay. there, but but before we change subjects, another thing to to throw out is so company A is still at that call it 300 range. Company yep. B is a, almost a million. Yep. But not all revenue is created equal either. Nope. And nope. <laughs> so that what you want what's to break the, that down. Well, sure. Yeah, I was going to say because there's yeah. a, about a $600,000 difference. Yep. So company B. Oh, no, that, no, no, no. The profit's higher. The margins are higher. Yeah, that's why. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, this. yeah. So so if you break down your cost of goods sold, right, mm -hmm. which is how much does it cost you to perform the work when you're in the home? So you've got mm -hmm. the labor, you've got the depreciation on your equipment, and you've got your consumables. Once you calculate out your general cost of goods sold, you'll know what your margin the job are, but it hides a nasty little secret. How much did it cost you to get your foot in the door? Yep. So if you're looking at lead acquisition, if you are running amazing lead campaigns, you're maybe paying 25 bucks a month. On average, service providers are paying somewhere around 45 bucks for a qualified lead. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean a close lead. That doesn't mean conversion. So if you're converting at 50 or 60%, right, you may be paying 60 to $80 before you set foot in the home. Yep. So now you have your cost of goods sold and then you've got your margin. So say you have $250 invoice, it costs you a hundred bucks to service the home. So you're making $150. Let's just say it's a 50, 50 split, right? Mm -hmm. So you're at 125. And then here comes the big bad marketing expenses, which you should be spending to get in the home and eats $80 of it. Yep. So, but what happens the second time you go back to them? That that's not there. And, and guys, you this may is spend, like, I would say put five bucks in, right? Yeah. Not Cause you got 80, some postcards or client whatever. retention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. But and let's, now let's you, round now it down. Your job there. isn't profiting the $40 or whatever the hell and now it's profiting that 120 bucks. And I think something that's important for people to, to understand. So uh, I don't know that this, these numbers I'm about to just kind of pull out of my butt here, match up with what you were saying, but just for the sake of conversation guys, because ultimately what Joe's saying is you don't have your marketing expense anymore on that repeat business. So if your marketing budgets, let's just call it 
let's say your marketing budget is 10%. And on that repeat business, so that $600,000 that company B has, that company A doesn't in that scenario we were talking about, it now is 10, it has 10% less cost um, or. It's worse than that. Check what, this out because they're getting the same clients. They're doing the same lead acquisition in both models. Since the only thing that's different is repeat, it's compounding. Hmm. It's compounding repeat. Clients. Okay. It's even, well, let's just say it wasn't, right. let's just say it was a one time. I, I, the point I'm getting at is this is, you know, if you either raise your prices or reduce your prices or reduce an expense, okay, by, you know, 10%, that doesn't just raise your profit by 10%. That, that could raise your profit. In the example you were giving, it's raising the profit by, I think it was over 100% in, in, in that, those numbers that you were going through. So, for instance, if I'm charging 100 bucks today and it costs me, 75 lead acquisition costs to go to solds and everything. So I make 25 bucks. And then the next time I say, I knock 10% off of that or, or charge 10% more, what, however you want to put it. So now it's $110 that I charged. Still cost me 75 bucks. I charged 110. My profit didn't go up by 10%. My profit went up by almost 50% because it, you know, I was making $25 profit. Now I'm making $35 profit just by adding that 10 bucks because it didn't cost anything. And what you're doing in essence is removing the expense instead of adding the revenue. I think I may have made that a little muddier, but I think you see where, where I'm going with on that. I hope, <laughs> I hope you see what I'm saying. your face says no, but, uh, but my, all, all I'm saying guys is when you're looking at percentages, Joe did it with dollars, but when you're looking at a percentage, it's like, well, a repeat customer costs X percent less what that's actually making you is far greater than that little percent that, that your, your yeah. profit is much greater than the percent that you saved on the marketing expense. It's really, really good. I think I botched it. If everyone listens to that slowly, I think it would make sense. So yeah, let's, let's keep going. Yeah, I, I, feel, I, I feel silly now. I think, I think you can <laughs> sum it up by saying, would you rather have $45 or $120? Boom. There we go. But, couldn't have said it better myself, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, all right. So, we're six years in. We've yep. made some money. We started making some money. But made a little rough, bit yes. of money. Made a dollar. So that's when I come up with fill my schedule, and that yep. saves the day for us, because our our margins on those that product is pretty good. Uh, it's not astronomical. It's not unreasonable, but you know they're decent. And so it finally gave us a little bit of horsepower to start hiring more people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when because we only had one employee at the time, so it was a three of us and one employee. So this is back in 06, 07. How many, and, uh, how many employees are you saying after six, seven years? One. Uh, no, so no, this is um, year four or five, right? Okay. We just hit profitability in year five, but we're not quite there yet when at this period of time because that's when Fill My Schedule comes in and helps us push to that profitability so we don't have to keep shoveling a little bit. We were shoveling less and less, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, who's going to write the $2,500 check this month, right? <laughs> so um, it, it, it happened less and less, but um, and it was smaller and smaller amounts. Um, but I, I just wanted to be done with it. So that's where we came up with Fill My Schedule. That provided enough um, actual horsepower and profit for us to get profitable and give us a little bit more cash to start hiring staff. And so as our 
database grew, we found more and more people were adopting Fill My Schedule because it's an amazing program. It's completely automated. It helps them grow their business. And so we started, and it's almost 50% of our clients, 52% of our clients at last check used the Fill My Schedule program. No kidding. Um, nice. That's, yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And so um, and so that really, really helped out a lot. That was the first shot in the arm that we had. And what was funny about that is I was nervous about launching it because I didn't know how we were going to deal with a whole bunch of system problems. But I'm a process guy. Mm -hmm. I became a warehouse manager because I became a process engineer. And so it was like, oh, we're going to have to figure this out. So I went down to a Hoffice Max. I bought two inline printers so I could put a card through it so it didn't bend it. We labeled them on the network, Cha-Ching 1 and Cha-Ching 2, and someone sat there all day and fed it cards. <laughs> and every time it would come out, we'd go, Cha-Ching, you know, right? So it's a little bit of cash in our pocket, a couple yep. cents, a couple cents. So it was like pr printing money, which was interesting. So, um, so we did that for a little bit, and then we finally bought a $10,000 printer. That was nice. our first now we have a whole print operation. We have college kids come in, they stuff cards. We have, you know, high-end printers because we don't sub that out because no one can do it. Mm -hmm. No one can do a tent card in an envelope with a stamp. Hmm. Like we can do postcards to somewhere else easier and more cost-effective and they look better than what we can do in-house. But this product, this one product that gets these results, no one will take it. We can we, we're the so. only ones who can do it. But so, what's interesting is that competitors can't touch it, right? It's a very unique product. So again, another business tip here, if you're a service provider, if you have a unique product that's difficult for other service providers to do, color perfection or, you know, uh, you know, correction or installation of new material or whatever, you know, it's uh, could give yourself some what we call blue ocean stuff. Well, you're, that you're the pair, the pair amongst the apples and oranges. You, that's you're, right. No one can compare. Uh, let, no one can compare, pun intended. Um let me ask you a question, Joe. I, I'm assuming you have this information. So you've got this fill my schedule. Th this is a, actually a great service monster uh, uh, commercial, and, and I'm happy to do it. This is actually really good <laughs> stuff. So because uh, one thing I, I do preach to is guys, to guys is they got to get a CRM like on day one. You know, they got to get it on day one because just kind of like the example I gave you where I'm, I've, I'm missing out on 10 months of repeat customer revenue because I wasn't yep. doing it right. So, so whatever you get, whatever it works for your bit. I mean, obviously make sure to check them all out, but get something for your business, exactly. whatever fits for you. Right. Now on the fill my, fill my schedule, you said 51% or something like that. 51, 52%. Yep. Now, do you know the statistics on their repeat rates on the people that do use it? Um, individually, no, but I can tell you collectively they're increasing. It depends on who it is, but you know, 10, 15% increases within six, eight months is yeah. fairly it's normal. It's hard to say because you're multiple. Because no one's, here's the thing. No one's doing it. They're yeah. not, when they come to us, they're like, yes, I know I should have one, but I don't. I sent out uh, uh, some stuff one time or I did an event one time. Oh, I got business. Oh, great. Well, why aren't you doing that every month? I just don't have the time effort or energy or whatever they just don't want to continue you guys all know it you're not doing it yeah and and there's a reason why it's just one of those hard things to cross off your list it's also but, a hard metric to track like just re, just let's just forget about everything else but like yes. i'm having now i i see the look on your face and you're like with service monster it's not hard bob <laughs> <laughs> but but let's if, if let's take service monster off the, the table just for a second it's a yeah. difficult metric to track 
Um, it is. Yeah, I can give you the breakdown because we actually have a blog post on it. It's just fairly simple. What you want to do is you want to take all the clients that you serviced within the last two years. Mm -hmm. What is that number? Okay. Yep. What is that, that number? Let's call then it a thousand. Ask, let's call a thousand. Then you okay. want to ask the system out of those thousand clients, mm -hmm. how many have we ever processed or did work for more than once? Not within those two years, but for every, every period of time in your mm -hmm. system, in your accounting system, your CRM, whatever. Those are the two numbers you need. Hmm. Once you have those two numbers, you divide them and you get your percentage. That's it. And that's just, okay, that's the percentage of your customer base that has repeated. And then I guess there would be a whole different metric if you are formula, if you were trying to figure out uh, how often people multi- uh, repeat multiple times and we're, I'm yes, sure we're yeah. going to bore everyone if we d dug into that, but key performance indicators. I'm all about them. We could do a whole conversation, but you're <laughs> right. I did a whole, I do speaking on a fairly regular basis and I did a speech on KPIs once and had to bring Josh Latimer in just to break up the me going all science and geeky. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, something that um, a concept that, I feel silly saying this. It's a little new to me. Um, and now it's such an obvious thing, but a key performance indicator, according to this one concept would be a, tr uh, what they call it, a trailing indicator, I think. And then, um, so you got like lead indicators and trailing indicators. And uh, the lead indicator would be like the, the actions that would drive the KPI. So for instance, revenue, could be a KPI, probably should be a KPI. Repeat rate should be a KPI, or a technician's quality score should be a KPI. So just That's I right. just I want to back up just a hair, just for anyone listening, if they're if they're you know day one in the business and they're not hundred percent sure what I mean. So KPI, key performance indicator, is something that it's a key thing in your business that indicates your performance. Okay, so are you doing good in these areas? Um, but something that, that I'm trying to do is instead of like, for instance, revenue, let's take an easy one. Revenue would be a KPI. Hey, we sold a million dollars this month. That means we're performing good. Um, but instead of focusing on that, because that's the trailing thing, focus on the, the leading thing, which would be, oh, well, every thousand flyers that we hand out, we sell five jobs and our average ticket price is this. So the in, so what we really need to be tracking on that daily basis is the leading thing, the number of flyers that get out or whatever the, the leading thing is for tech quality or, or things like that. Is that uh, something that, that you do personally or look at or? Yeah, I just consider them all key performance indicators though, right? So um, it's interesting looking at the events that can influence them for sure mm -hmm. or trailing them together, right? We call that a pipeline. So mm -hmm. let's say, uh, for instance, you've got lead acquisition, right? Yep. Or marketing dollars spent in specific campaigns. You can even start that. like. But then where do your customers come from? So you've then you've a tracking lead source. So on your lead acquisition, you know what your sources are bringing in. So you understand which marketing campaigns are working. Mm -hmm. And then how many of those leads actually convert into billable work or into jobs? And how many of those jobs require rework at all, if any? Uh, and, and what's the cogs of those individual jobs? And what's your profit margin on those jobs? And, and then finally coming out of the end, yeah, what's your total revenue? What's your margin? 
what's your profit margin look like with administration costs and everything thrown into place. So you can track it at each point and kind of see, and you're right, one is a driving factor, could be a driving factor or the other, but that's an assumption that you make if everything is equal. You can say, my, I convert it 20%, okay? It means for every 100 leads, we're gonna have 20 invoices. Awesome. Well, what happens if you crank up your lead campaign and you get just a shitload, like a thousand leads, yeah. but half of them are junk because mm -hmm. you're not dialed in. They didn't get what they expected when they came and had the conversation or looked at the website or whatever. And now you're, you're tried and true. My 20%, that would have, should have netted me 200 invoices. Now only netted you a hundred invoices. Yep. So just because it's a driving indicator doesn't mean it's static or that it's going to continue to perform at that level given the input right so you track all your inputs and outputs at each point that is relevant to you um and then yes you can look at things like okay so what does drive quality leads and so if you're collecting data at that point and and you know okay well if we break it down by lead source i can see 80 percent of the leads from this type of a lead source turn into invoices Mm -hmm. Oh, guess what? I'm going to take all my money out of the bullshit that's like 20% yeah. and under, and I'm going to dump that. I've, I'm running into this right now, and, and I have a historical reference for this. So this is like naysayers of social media or people who are like, that doesn't work. Or, mm -hmm. you know, we've still got guys who are arguing SEO, right? Search engine optimization and even having a website as a necessity to grow a business. If you want to be self-employed your whole life as a goal, fine. Make sure you're charging enough so that you can weather the rainy days and sicknesses. Mm -hmm. But if your intention is to grow, this is what you do. You look for low-cost attention from your demographic. Hmm. That's the formula. Okay, so like example. Pay-per-click for Google didn't come out until like 2006, 2007. When it did, for my vector, it was $0.25 cents a click. I didn't have any money because this is the same point I was trying to build, fill my schedule and you're trying to build a profit. But if I had known how undervalued 25 cents a click was, I would have taken all other forms of advertising I was doing and all other attention that I was trying to grab and yep. dumped it right into the pay-per-click. Um, when social media first started really making a go of it, so 2008, 2009, 2010, Facebook's really starting to catch on. We were early in the game, creating blog posts on a regular basis, curating content, which is something you can do if you're not creating your own content. So going through articles and stuff that your audience would be interested in and making sure that it's quality stuff and it's fact-checked and that's all. People are starving for curated content. Partly that's why Instagram is winning. Uh, but so in two, you know, at this time, we started curating content because we weren't creating our own. And, you know, we were mostly pushing the dead air. And then in 2016, everything lights up. All the service providers for window cleaning, pressure washing, and carpet cleaning showed up at scale and started joining groups. Mm -hmm. And it just happened like overnight. It was like a six-month period. It was amazing. All of my dashboards went from, you know, do, 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 to bing, 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 bing. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And so that didn't mean more leads yet, though, because we weren't, uh, but we were attracting the most attention. Like Service Monster has 12,000 Facebook likes that are relevant industry. You know, we don't do Chinese farming like some of the other guys do or any yeah. of that kind of bullshit because I don't care about numbers as much as we're number one and nobody has as much as us. So yeah, I don't have to care about numbers. <laughs> but, <laughs> Wait, but, hold but, on. 
So are you saying you're the best, Joe? Yes, uh, digital media marketing, but we work the hardest, right? <laughs> I put the most money into but, it. Now I say that because, you know, I made a Facebook post the other day about are you the best? And then everyone's, That's right. like, everyone's like, you suck, Bob. There's no such thing. And I'm like, screw you guys. <laughs> It depends on the KPI. My (laughs) KPI is digital media value content creation. And in that regard, there is no vendor that even comes close to what we do for this, this industry. There's no association. There's no manufacturer. There's no, you know, um, um, Tate does some, a lot of good stuff uh, from reach it. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, Perry's out there hustling it fairly well and there's some others like obviously prolific prints so um you know ryan's out there hustling it too so he's doing you know and and their guys are all doing good but i have a staff no one's got a staff we create yeah. we crank out so much content for the last four years it's ridiculous well that's but been that's, a huge part of your strategy i saw you talk uh, maybe it was just on a post but you had said that a huge change for you guys was when I think you had said you stepped out of the business more and stepped into being entree Joe and focusing on, on this content you're talking about. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I think you're conflating two events, but yes. So it took the marketing department three years to convince me to be um, a brand I rem- to build okay. on the I Joe that. brand. Yep. Yeah. And so w- for three months, we sat around the conference table every week trying to figure out like, what the hell are we going to do with this Joe brand thing? Like, what are, how, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be? And, and uh, that was before I ran across Gary Vaynerchuk video um, in 2000, <laughs> early 2016 on Facebook. And I didn't know who this guy was. And I was, I was like, just watching before you logged on, I, I before you uh, logged on, I got home. I had like 20 minutes to throw down some food and D zone. So I watched Gary V on hot ones. I don't know if you've ever seen hot ones, but it's where they eat hot wings and interview them. So yeah. it's, a good, it's a good one if you haven't seen it, but anyway, carry yeah, on. I have, I Gary yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I saw a Gary V post and it just, it clicked with me. I was like, I knew exactly what I was looking at and I wasn't listening to what he was saying. I was watching what he was doing. Yeah. And I was just, I just understood it. So I bought the thank you economy and I just ate that book in like a day or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Producing. This is what I wanted to do anyways. What did I want to start my business as? I wanted to give Fortune 500 developers the tools and skills. That are, I Sorry. I wanted to give small business owners the tools and skills uh, and insight that the Fortune 500 companies were benefiting from. Yeah. So in the way I do that with my software is, is technology through my software, through my business, but I can also serve that same goal by taking all the places where I got punched in the mouth and kind of, and, and just dusting them off a little bit and, and making them for the service provider. Cause we help thousands of service providers. We processed 500 and $7 million worth of uh, invoices last year. 1.24 nice. million jobs. Wow. That's amazing. That We're very proud of that number. That's, that's right? impressive. Well, you know, I got a new marketing uh, campaign kind of thing for you, you know, an overarching uh, thing to focus on. You ready? It just hit me when you said something a sec- just a second ago. Okay, said, hit me. Here at Service Monster, we want to take the um, – the the resources and the tools that fortune 500 companies have and give them to the small service business owners right when the other crms want to take the small business owners 
hard-earned customers data and information and bring it to the fortune 500 companies <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing because they're especially the guys who are all vc backed and, yeah. and there's not many of us bootstraps out there anymore mm -hmm. there's not most of them are either sold or they're winding them down so you can have that idea for free thank you bobby but I don't want you claiming my my thing I'm going to do. I've told you about it. I don't know if you remember. We'll have to talk about it off air. But when I do it, because yeah. you were a little bit of the inspiration, it's mine. You don't get any okay, of it. It's yours. You got yeah. it. I don't no idea what you're talking about. But I, this is the kind of intellectual property. People freak out about that. It's like, because you don't have very much intellect. <laughs> like, I can, and I can invent shit all day long, every single day. But it's execution. Yeah. I, ideas don't mean shit. And as entrepreneurs start to get the mindset right and they start mm -hmm. to figure things out, they start to recognize opportunity everywhere. And so you know what happens is the, the guys who hit 250 or 300 grand, now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm going to do all these other things too. They want to branch out. It's like, whoa mm -hmm. there, cowboy. Like, get your shit straight. Let's get to a million dollars. Let's get you a staff of 10. Let's mm -hmm. get you the business running. on. And that's the other part of the conversation is how do you get a business to run without you? And that's one thing that I've been really working at for the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. But man, there's just so many facets. I'm the chief architect. Uh, I'm the head marketing person. Yep. You know, it's just like, and, and, and I've been, I've found amazing people to help me on this journey and growing company is something I talk about a lot too, because that's where I focus the most. Cause I think it's the hardest to navigate because people mm -hmm. are freaking hard. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it's just like, it's, it's hard to, to replace. And then sometimes you'll replace somebody and then and they'll handle some of those tasks and then they'll go, they'll just have a life experience and they'll need to do. Yeah. I lost a great project manager. I had to take all the projects back. And then I realized we're producing better projects when I'm the project manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, now let me it's ask like, you a question uh, on, on this topic. Yeah. So you said that you've been working on the last two or three years for, yep. uh, you know, trying to uh, make, Make myself well, less relevant. Yeah, increase your bus factor, if you will, right? So the, but you've also said at the beginning of the show that like you, your brain doesn't turn off on this stuff. So is, I'm assuming it's one of two reasons. Are you, is this your goal out of necessity because you want the business to be healthy if something were to happen for you and take you out for a while? Or are you doing it because you want to be able to step out? Um. I love what I do. I could get comfortable here and sit here forever. That's yeah. not what's best for the business. Mm -hmm. I want this business to be around in a hundred years. I want to build a great company. I don't want to build a mediocre company. My long-term game plan to build this business was 30 years. I had a 30 year business plan. Mm -hmm. I was hoping adoption would happen a lot quicker, man. 30% 70% uh, of the service business still doesn't use a CRM of any kind. I had no idea. Nope. And I had no idea that it would take this long for adoption. Boomers are dying. And so we're now we're seeing the young blood come in and they're not going to target for day planners. They're going to the app store. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a C shift happening, but they also want that shit for free. Mm -hmm. And yet it takes a lot of money to put a really good platform together. Mm -hmm. And so they can download it and get, you know, ads and have a basic invoice management, the real horsepower CRM. There's a handful of us out there. Um, and then pay that monthly fee, 80 bucks, 120 bucks, whatever it is. And, and, uh, and get an amazing tool to help them grow the business and then multiple employees and it hooks up with other things like mm -hmm. take another drink response a bit. It it's, you know, it's a good overall platform 
to grow your business, regardless of which one you go with. So, so Joe, I got another, another thing for you here. This is not service monster related or even your story related, but I want to get your take on it. Yeah. I had mentioned, I had posted about, you know, if your company's not the best, why? And everyone responded like, Bob, you suck for thinking you got to be the best. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I, it's just who I am. And I got, I'm I either like, I want to win or I kind of take my ball and go home. There's no real in between with me. So it's just how I'm, how I'm geared. And if you're geared, not you, Joe, but the listener, if you're uh, wide, I'm, okay, my with disc being a loser. score is the highest they've ever seen on the competitive chart. <laughs> okay. I'm a hundred on disc 99 on, um, on, um, intelligence as a driver. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I'm, well. and, and wait, wait, here's the best part. When my coach was like, Joe, very few people get over 95. You have it both categories and your competitiveness is a hundred. The first thing out of my mouth was, did I win? <laughs> I'm, I, I, I can relate so much to what you're saying right now. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, well, it's just competition's fun. You know, uh, competition's fun. Now I had another question I wanted to ask you and my, my unreliable mind, I, I was about to go there. It was a, uh, another post I had made. What was it about Bob? Don't let me down. I got the pressure on me. I had it and I lost it, Joe. Um, oh, okay. Here it is. It's about knowledge being power. Boom. I got it out of my mouth. So I won't forget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Okay. You had mentioned uh, execution is power, you know, used to be knowledge. So you said something along those lines. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but something similar. Sure. To that. So I had made a, made a Facebook post that said um, knowledge used to be power, but now execution is. And then, you know, agree, disagree. And I was really more so asking the question than making the statement. However, I do think that execution is. And then, you know, people were like, well, but without knowledge, X, Y, and Z. And here's kind of my take on it. And then I'd like to see, see your thoughts, but of the reason knowledge was power is not everyone had it not, and, and not everyone had the ability to necessarily get it. There used to be knowledge out there that not everyone could have. And yes, that still exists today. I know there is some knowledge that I cannot gain from the internet somewhere. I don't know what it is, but I'm, it exists. Um, but as far as we're all concerned in all practicality, that's an even playing field. If you can walk to a library, you have access to any of the knowledge that I do. I have access to all the knowledge that, uh, not wisdom, but all the knowledge that you, Joe, have to be able to code and things like that. I can learn it and figure it out somehow by studying. So to me, that's even the playing field. So now execution, which used to not be as important, because there could be the king that had the knowledge and he could be a lazy ass, but still be able to dominate with that, you know, because he has the formula for gunpowder and I just have a bow and arrow. Now we all have gunpowder. So now all that matters is who's going to bust her ass the hardest, who's going to flank the other one, get in the better position and take advantage of it. What are your thoughts sir? I see where you're coming from um, on the grander scope, our access to, I won't say knowledge, let's just call it information mm -hmm. because there's good information and bad information Fair. and wading through and finding truth um, sometimes can be difficult in a task in and of itself. But that being said, yes, I, uh, I learned how to code 
primarily via books and internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the engineers, there's not a single engineer I know who wouldn't be 10 times slower if we didn't have the internet as part of our tool of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so access to information is abundant. Um, but not knowledge. I hold knowledge in a higher esteem. Okay. And so this is where execution and information intersect. Because without execution, you won't get knowledge. Because if you think about it, you've got to execute to acquire the knowledge. You've got to go through the effort to acquire it, fog of war, learn the truth, Mm -hmm. study the path, get a coach, do it yourself, which is even harder. Find some books from people who have done it before you. This whole time you're acquiring information, you're converting that actively into knowledge. At a certain point, then, being able to act on that knowledge is where the, the... the power really comes in, right? So you can take the information of coding, but not know how to code. You can learn how to code, but not how how to have the knowledge to build a program. You can have the knowledge to build a program, but maybe now you haven't studied the information required to get into sales and marketing and publishing and and all this stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs, we have to go through this continuous learning process and fog of war and iterative cycles, these round and round about acquiring knowledge, turning it into, you know, acquiring information, turning it into knowledge, executing on it, then what? Gathering more data, gathering more information. Because once you execute on it, then you can see how it reacts. Does the market react? Did the the post, you know, strike a chord? Did the video bring in leads? Um, Did the, uh, did the, the, the customer find value in the new release of the new feature that we gave them? Or did the customer find value in their cleaning of their carpets or their windows? Um, So I think it's this iterative cycle that's power. It's the inertia that's power. Because if you ever stop that, if you ever stop the knowledge and execution cycle and Mm -hmm. you stay stagnant, then you're not executing and you're not acquiring new knowledge. You will stay and you will eventually be crushed. So, so the key, I think I'm, I'm going to try to be cool and say something that the, the former warehouse manager definitely is going to know. Kaizen is the path yeah. to, uh, to, to, to success, right? The continuous sure. improvement, or you said the something cycles of improvement. I forget what that first word was. Uh, at the yeah, beginning of iterative, the iterative, iterative. Yes, yeah. but yes, Kaizen is a very good example of of that kind of a, you know circular process where you're gathering data, you're pushing things out. Like we we do that all the time. You know, we didn't know like our first mobile product was not great. We tried to shove our whole product into a mobile phone, and hmm. uh, for we had to we've been suffering with that for three years. Hmm. It wasn't only until three months ago where we released our brand new app. Um, now we had released it a beta and our customers went freaking crazy. They absolutely loved it. And when we released it to the general public, we're getting that same feedback. But I couldn't have done that four years ago. I yeah. didn't have the data. I didn't have the knowledge. And I hadn't executed on it. Now, I could have acquired the information and knowledge from Mobile 3. And then without execution, my customers, nothing moves forward. So the power out of the knowledge is power. I think has to do with the inertia of application of knowledge, hmm. in which case here we define as execution. So it's all one thing, right? It's the wheel continuing to turn. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, did anyone else's head explode 
I don't know. I think mine may have right there. So, uh, <laughs> so Joe, listen, I, I want to wind down here. I'm, I'm not going to shut this off like super quick, but we need to wind down. Um, we got to do this again because like we started hearing your story and then I just love talking to you and we, we got halfway through the story and then we're halfway just through a bunch of philosophical business business stuff and both of them have been great so can we do it again uh yeah, i would another, love to okay we'll, we'll do yeah, this absolutely. again i i, I want to here in a minute i'm going to ask you to share um either a concept a mentality maybe a tactic um something and it doesn't have to be the best one it just needs to be a great one because everyone that i have on the show i always ask them to do this so here in a second i'm going to ask you to share something that you would like to uh give to the guys that are in those stage one stage two businesses uh so owner operator out there in the field grinding it but have aspiration to scale okay but before we do now i'm pretty positive that you don't listen to the show and i'm okay with that that doesn't hurt my feelings or anything like that i ask this question to almost every guest it's the most important part of the show um definitely uh, without question, the most uh, important question of the entire show. So I'm just going to get to it right now. Would you rather fight to the death one horse-sized duck or a thousand duck-sized horses? No weapons, just you and the ducks or the horses, one horse-sized duck or a thousand duck-sized horses to the death? I got to go with the duck-sized, or the horse-sized duck. Are you kidding? I'm a, not at all. You know I'm a homesteader, right? We talked about that. So I've, a little I've, got, bit. I've got flock, so I've got uh, chickens and geese, and we've had ducks. And, yeah, I know how to murder those little bastards, no problem. But what about when they're huge, when they're bigger than you are? They're man? not that, but they got no arms, man. They got no <laughs> arms. Those wings will hurt you, but they only have a certain range of emotions. And their gullet, they're, that jugular is so close to the top, just one little dagger, you're all not, good. Have you not seen the end of your duck's webs? They have little cl oh, yeah. they have claws. and Yeah. Yeah. Have you looked at one? Okay, when we're done, when you go home tonight, because I know, because <laughs> so it's you're like, arguing for the horses. Then. Oh, absolutely, that, yeah. I think that's yeah. The, the best way. When you go home, I just want you to go pick up one of your ducks, right? And I just just kind of open his mouth and look in there and see that horrid, scary, yeah. like teeth layered <laughs> thing. It, it's They're just, not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I I love ducks. I love ducks. Yeah. They're probably like my favorite animal. I'm sorry, I, my dog just heard that. Sorry, Mason. oh no, but they're probably my favorite animal. <laughs> but uh, God, I would not fight a horse-sized one. Okay, fair enough. I, I disagree strongly, but um, <laughs> more more guests than I would like to admit have went the direction that you just went. So yeah, it's all right. Okay, so um, Joe, there's new guys out there listening. They they want to grow their businesses, and um, they want a little inspiration or direction or something. What do you got for them? Yeah, I got two things. So we'll start with the practical because okay. everybody wants to know, like, what can I do? Um, you can and not be cheap. Okay. You need to make sure that your prices are um, correct with your goals. 
if your pricing is not dialed in, you will be self-employed forever and you will not grow shit. You will not get off the truck. You will not get out of the field. You will not be making margins. You will not have enough to market. You will not have enough to acquire new clients. You won't have enough for an employee. It is very difficult to navigate those first few employees. That truck or van or rig has to support at least two people. And if you want to get off the truck successfully, you're probably looking at three. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got to be able to have that rig running enough billable hours to cover the salary of multiple employees, some of which aren't working towards billable hours. And that first transition period, and you know, let's face it, like w when you're by yourself, there's a certain ease to it, right? There's a comfortability. It's just all on you. Entrepreneurs are going to instantly find that gratifying. It's all on our shoulders. We'll take all of the responsibility. We'll take all of the blame, but you know what? We're doing all the work and we're making sure everything's going right. Mm -hmm. You need to keep that motivation of keeping all of the responsibility because everything is your fault even when you have 30 employees yep and so knowing that and building that culture it takes money it takes cash and you can't do it if you're making ten dollars a damn job and every dollar you raise your price above your price is pure profit because you're not not paying the cost of goods sold you're paying the labor and you're paying for the equipment and you're paying for the depreciation and you're paying for all that other stuff no matter what. You raise mm -hmm. your prices $1 and that's $1 towards horsepower, okay? Converting time to money and saying, yes, you need to increase your prices because the expectation of some people is I'll just hustle my way to prosperity, okay? I'm all about the hustle. I am all about it. But at 60 hours a week, which is the most you're going to get if you want to keep a wife and family intact, okay, you're doing more than that. You're doing them a disservice. They may not say shit, but it's brewing. So yep. deal with that. But if you hire five amazing employees, that's 200 extra horsepowers a week. 200. That's 10 times more than your hustle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's the real deal. Okay, so how do you get there? You've got to be able to charge enough. Okay, so pricing. You've got to get your pricing in line. Oh, I don't price in my area. Like, oh, that's bullshit. I, I hear it all day long. But Joe, not in my area. You know what? Screw your area. There yeah. are plenty of people willing to buy, what do we see the meme? Jordan's for 200 bucks. They're certainly yeah. willing to pay you the money to build a business, to do good work for them, do right by them, give them a quality product, make sure they're getting the value for their money, but that you are charging appropriately. Okay, that's one. Shifting to a more philosophical side of the equation, you have got to get some introspection. You have got to be able to be a continual learner and understand that you know, we have to have health, healthy egos to do this. There's just, there's no other way around it. You, you have to be, you know, uh, egocentric a little bit to start your own business and go weather the storm and wear it all on your shoulders. But you have to understand too, that there's a lot of things that you suck at and you either need to get better at that stuff or find someone to take care of that for you, which again, take time and money. Um, and you've got to realize how to pick yourself back up, how to motivate yourself, 
how to be strong where you're weak and, and how to lay in where you're strong when things are going well and you've got to like, don't take it as an opportunity to lay back. That's when you put the pedal down. Um, and so introspection to me is, is huge. It's a continual evolution in maturity. You know, a lot of guys like, I don't need any of that bullshit, like coaches or like any yeah. of that stuff. And, and maybe you don't need a coach, but you need to be honest about the reality of your situation. You need to know that it's your fault. You can't find an employee that millennials are not the problem that people don't want to work. is not the problem. You are the You're problem. The problem. Yeah. You've got to be able to pull in the right people, identify them, get good at hiring people, get comfortable with firing people, build systems, like build a, a culture of happiness and accountability. And if you're grumpy and you're doing, the, that just tells me that you don't have an in, enough introspection to check yourself. Hmm. And, um, and we've got to do that. We can be masters of our own domain, but you'll be a master of one. I see it all the time. I'm going to go big. I'm going to go hard. And they get, things are going good. And they get three or four employees. They enter it in what I call hell's Valley. Cause when you're single owner operator, things are pretty easy. Yeah. You're your own master. But when you get that first guy still easy, it's like, man, he's helping me out. My life just got easier right now. Maybe writing those checks at the end of the month, if you're dialed in, okay, fine. You got that. You get three or four employees and they start asking a lot of hard questions that you don't necessarily want to answer right then but they're not going to have shit to do unless you take care of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so you got to get policies and procedures in place. So between two and six employees, I call that hell's Valley because owning a business between two and six employees for a service provider sucks. <laughs> it's taken up all the profits. You'll be at six employees. You'll be looking at your bottom line. You're like, shit, I made more money when I was a single owner. Operator. That's where I'm at right now. That's, if you take my son and I out of the equation, we're at uh, five. And, yep. you know, so seven with us, but we're in that same spot. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but then you get to 10, right? And if you're mm -hmm. dialed in 10 employees, you said basic economics says you should be pulling in a million, mm -hmm. right? For each employee, you should be bringing in a hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Uh, that's just a good baseline. You could be mm -hmm. up or down, but that's a good baseline. So 10 employees, a million dollars in revenue, and then you can replace yourself with an operations manager, right? And then you can actually autopilot autopilot the business if you do it right yeah. and if you love doing it maybe you can continue to run it or let's say that you know you suck at leadership like running the business isn't but you're a master cleaner right mm -hmm. doug bursma here at pacific northwest was a 2.6 million dollar cleaning operation jay was running it for him for the longest time like 10 years or something because doug knew he was a cleaner he was a 45 years uh, in, you know, cleaning expert. That dude can clean anything. All the most complicated antiques and, you know, fine rugs and all that stuff. He knows how to clean shit. He doesn't necessarily know how to run and grow a big ass business. Yeah. So you bring in people to help you get the right people on the right seats. And then you can take that bus anywhere. So read lots of reading, lots of introspection, lots of realizing that you don't know what you don't know. You got to yeah. continually put forth that kind of effort and activity. And if you're pushing the wand or you're cleaning, you are not growing. That's just fact. If you're working, you're not growing. And if you're not working and you're not growing, you're doing the business a disservice. Even in your slow periods, you owe that business 50, 60 hours a week. So how do you do that? You figure out systems, you dial in SOPs, you read books, you know, you do what you can.
and I'll, and I'll give you one book just because it's a forever book and I always like to suggest it. It's The Art of War by Sun Tzu. So this was written back 5000 BC. He was a general in uh, the Chinese um, for the Chinese uh, military. Um, and, he, and either he wrote it or him and a handful of people mm-hmm. wrote in. And it's and not a book you read cover to cover. It doesn't tell you a story. You read a paragraph at a time, maybe one paragraph a day. And then you chew that over forever. And it's a good prompt. For instance, there's uh, one of the more famous ones would say something like, when strong present weak, when weak present strong. When you are a single owner operator, it's important to be professional to the tilt. So when you're small, you present big. You have a great website. Your Facebook is on point. You, you're dressed nice. You're showered. You have a uniform. Your stuff is clean you look pro Mm -hmm. okay when big present small so service monsters you know turn into quite the large company but i realized three or four years ago like i needed to get down into the trenches and make sure that a i understood you guys so i can continue to create products for you and that you understood that i know where you guys are coming from Mm. and so when big present small and so what did i do i went out on social media and now i am super accessible everybody can hit me up at any time and i try to share my pain as it were in a, in a little you know um yeah. a little hard love sometimes so that's it get your pricing right and get introspection in, introspection and just continue to learn and, and be a student. joe that was uh that was great that I might chop that out and just make that a podcast. <laughs> that was really good. A little good. clip to the podcast, yeah, Stinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So listen, Joe, don't don't leave. I want to chat at you just a little bit before, uh, sure. before you get off here. But uh, can't say thanks again. I know you're an ultra busy dude. Um, I, I've been watching you from afar for a long time, and you didn't disappoint. I, I look forward to being able to connect with you a little more. and. Um, and that's it. So how can people find out about Service Monster? I, I appreciate that, Bobby. Thank you. Um, hey, dude, we're everywhere. Uh, servicemonster.net. Just jump on there. It's the fastest way. Um, okay. Obviously, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Um, we're on Twitter, but no one's on Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, if you're a pressure washer, window cleaning, you want to hit us up on Instagram, though, because we share um, pressure washer and window cleaning videos. And so here's my favorite thing. They'll share it on their own Instagram page. They'll get 500 views, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll share it on ours and we'll get 50,000 views. No kidding. (laughs) And we tag it all up. So we are continually promoting those uh, OCD style pressure washing videos, that pressure washing Mm -hmm. porn, right? They hit so That's a great subreddit, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it is in our in our um and we understand how to make that whole work we've got videos with 250 to 400,000 views from pressure washing companies um and then they're getting work from it just because enough people in their local demographic are hit so if you're pressure washing window cleaning hit us up on instagram you'll see all that stuff there um also of course facebook we're super active in facebook that's where i personally hang out the most um facebook has a limitation of 5,000 friends and i'm always at that cap so if you see me, 
you know, if it goes to four nine nine nine, then go ahead and hit me up. Otherwise, <laughs> you can either follow me or send me a message. Uh, maybe I pissed someone off that day and they decided to finally leave. Right? <laughs> That's fun. That's um, fun. Yeah, and and of course we do YouTube. We do a podcast as well, so we're on all the podcasting platforms. We do um, basically it's a mashup where half the episode is uh, value content, much like what we've discussed here. And the other half is for our clients because there's so many of them mm-hmm. talking about our updates and what's coming out and, and uh, maybe some of the, the stories that are going on in Smug, our service monster user group, um, and uh, some of the content that's going on there. So anyways, cool. we're, we're everywhere, but servicemonster.net, that's the easiest place to go look at the product and all the stuff that we have to offer. Perfect. I actually, uh, I've been meaning, and you just post or said something about it again the other day about the new update that just came out. So I, uh, uh, I'm not speaking ill of who I'm with, but uh, I, I've been wanting to switch over. Are there a couple things? So I'm going to look at it. We'll see if you can win me over here. And uh, I'm excited to dig into the new platform you got, but Joe, thanks a million listeners. Thank you, thank you so you much, f- Bobby. Thank you for uh, supporting the show, being a part of it. And remember, if you're not doing what you want to be doing, you better have a damn good reason for it. But if you're not pursuing it, there's no good reason for it. Peace out.